Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Inside the Cage, your home for pro wrestling and MMA and entertainment. I am your host, Terrell Campbell. I am your man, Drew. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and also in our entertainment portion, we're going to cover what, Jerome? Shenanigans, and of course, football! There we go. All right. All right, so make sure that you're listening to us on all forms of media. I say we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and various other various other uh, streaming. So just go ahead, make sure that you check us out, and make sure you follow us on social media at Inside the Cage TC. Uh, follow myself at T Campbell I underscore ITC on Instagram, and Jerome, uh, give us some of your uh, social media accounts. Man, all you got to do is type in uh, J-Span the man on everything. I try and make it simple for everybody. All right. Well, with that out of the way, because, like I say, we know that we don't like to shamelessly plug ourselves too much, let's go ahead and get into the first topic of conversation. After his impressive victory against Paulo Costa, Israel Adesanya, is this guy for real? Jerome? Um, well, for me, um, at this point, if you're talking about, is he for real? Yes, 100%. Um, not even a question in my mind. He has <clears throat> utterly dominated the division in the way that me and I know me and you particularly want to see out of a guy before we give them all the credit in the world, right? And <clears throat> to see the way that he, I mean, he just completely nullified what Paulo Costa thought he was going to do in that fight and finished him off in a way that truthfully, I didn't think Paulo Costa would get figured finished off like that. I figured if he was going to get finished, it was going to end up being somebody that took him down and beat him down on the ground. And it would be a ref stoppage. Right. <clears throat> Cause I mean, we've seen Paulo Costa sit here in a lot of fights and throw blows at guys and he's knocked some guys out. You know, he's a real heavy hitter, but <clears throat> in that fight against, Israel, it really, it looked like he was lost. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen plenty of fighters have that same look on their face. And it's not necessarily, you know, all when they're fighting Israel, but <clears throat> I've seen plenty of fighters with that same look to where it's just like, wow, I thought I had a better plan to deal with this coming in. And not so much. I mean, you take a look at, um, a perfect example of this is take a look at Forrest Griffin versus Anderson Silva, right? Within the first round of that fight, Forrest Griffin knew he was like, well, not even the first round, within the first couple like minutes of that fight, first two minutes, he knew he was in there with something that he hadn't dealt with before. And I think that's a lot of what happened with Paulo Costa there was that when he got into that, uh, into that cage, he realized, man, this is a little something different because do you remember Israel getting hit clean once by him? Because I know. I don't. I don't remember seeing any clean hits uh, that Costa got off of Izzy. Like this is, this is something that like while watching that fight, like I was looking and I'm just like, okay, he's like I say because I saw Israel like say 
Say, because I've seen Costa fights before, and he engages with his opponent, but Israel was doing the smart thing. He was slipping in and out. He would, like, say, say Costa, like, say, got a couple, like, body kicks on him, but it was one of those things where it's like, like, like a guy the size of Costa, you're expecting him to throw a body kick and, like, it to, you know, like, nullify a guy and... Israel ate that, ate those kicks and was just like, that's all you got? That's pretty much what I saw when I was watching, when I was watching this fight because of the simple fact that Israel Azania is just, seems to be, I won't say unbeatable because we thought that about uh, a certain other person many years ago and, you know, he got a little bit too overconfident. Uh, whereas, like I say, Israel Azania. I respect the man immensely, not because of the fact that he won a he's won fights because he's because he's undefeated, but because he's not shying away from from the murderer's row that is the middleweight division. You know, like I say, say he like his first title defense was against Yal Romero. We know Romero can be dangerous. Let's say Romero didn't engage like he normally would in that in that whole like say circumstance. He he didn't engage. Then you got a guy like Paul Costa. Uh, like I say, Paul Costa didn't engage the way he normally should have. And if he can get past Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier is going to be somebody that is in that list of a murderer's role. Like, and you got to think, Israel Azania already beat Robert Whitaker. Like, not a lot of guys in, in the UFC can claim that at, at all because Whitaker has been like one of those guys, we thought. I thought for a while Whitaker was going to be the guy that holds up the belt and, you know, runs away with the division for the next few years, you know. But Adesanya proved that otherwise, and kind of so did Whitaker's body. But, anyways, like I think Israel Adesanya, like I say, if if people had doubts about this guy before, you know, especially after the Romero fight, I have to say. I think any doubts anyone had need to be wiped away because of the fact that the man went out there to fight and he put on a clinic. Mm-hmm. He embarrassed them, if we're going to be honest about it. I mean, we, we generally will call out a guy get dominated, right? But we don't normally go to the point of saying embarrassed him, right? But to me, that was embarrassing for Costa. Costa looked completely outmatched. There, there wasn't a moment in that fight that I was like, oh, man, he's going to rally now. You know what I mean? The whole time it was just, oh, he's getting his butt kicked. He doesn't know how to stop this. He doesn't know how to deal with anything like this. And this is the thing that we talk about with some of these great fighters, right? Some of these guys that become really dominant in the division is that one of the issues that guys always have is finding someone who can simulate their style. You remember when Machida first came along with his karate style and using the karate style in the way that he did, right? People had serious trouble trying to figure it out. Well, Israel's kind of the same kind of puzzle, except he's taking the game to the next level. You know what I mean? And at this point, when you when you look at him, you, you start asking the question of, okay, well, whose style would be conducive to beat him? And, you know, you would have thought it would be someone like Joel Romero, right? Because Joel would be able to take him down and be able to have the advantage on the ground. But he couldn't even really get the job done. You know, Joel looked outmatched in that fight, too. So, to me, looking at Israel, it's 
I will say this. I know it's kind of early, but he is on a path to become a transit transcendent fighter. He is on that path because stylistically, he's already got something that's very unique, that's entertaining to watch. Um, he's a good promoter, so he's going to get you know some more big fights. So if he can continue to dominate in the ways that he has been, I think he will reach that level of transcendence like like when we talk about John Jones, when we've talked about Silva, uh, Amanda Nunes, you know, when we talk about people like that. When we talk about those guys, those people that are like the goats, if he can continue this, he will be in that conversation. No questions asked. All right. And now, Jerome, let's say you're talking about dominance. Speaking of a dominant champion, we're, like I say, we're only uh, a few weeks away from Madoff versus just Justin Gaethje. And I say, I got to say, that looks like it's going to be an interesting matchup. I mean, even like I say, if you take a look at the fight card, it looks like it's definitely going to be something that, like I say, is going to thrill a lot of fans. I say, say, because like I say, if you look at this, if you look at this fight card, all right, like I say, from you got it. Oh, by the way, we also got to give props to uh, Jan Blaschewitz because he definitely. Uh, showed out showed out showed up and he showed out like against uh dominic reyes because he took that man out i i actually picked reyes to win that fight after his performance against jones but blasha was just outclassed the man but but back you know what what's that and and after looking at that fight too it's it's what makes you wonder why john jones wasn't more aggressive with him you, you, see, you know what I'm saying? Like when you look back on it now, it's like, well, John, you could have really done the same exact strategy to him and dominated him in the same way. It just, I don't know what it was in that fight with Reyes, but Jones just, honestly, that was the first time I would say I've seen him look kind of disinterested in a fight. That, was, that I can't think of another time I would say I, John Jones looked like he was completely disinterested in fighting mm. in a fight. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, I, me personally, I scored the uh, the fight, John losing. Right. Not here. gonna hate on him for getting the win, right? But what I am gonna say is, is that when you're so used to someone giving out dominant performances, when they give you a half-assed performance like that, that's kind of what happened. You know what I mean? So, I, it just was very weird to me to see the way the Reyes got dominated in a way that I thought that's exactly what John Jones was gonna do to him. Yeah, like I say, that's that's pretty much how we all kind of kind of thought. But like, I just think, like like you said, Jones was just interested in the fight, and just the way that he approached it. Like I say, Reyes looked a lot better in that fight than he did against Blashwitz because there wasn't any question in that. Like I even I even told people that I was watching the fight with, I don't see this fight going past the second round, and I was right. You know, I at least gave a little bit more credit to Costa, thinking it would at least go to the third but hey hey i'm not not i'm not i'm not nostradamus okay i can't you know <laughs> predict the future okay but if we're looking at the future though back to the ufc 254 card not only do we have khabib versus justin gaethje but we also have the the, the previously talked about robert whitaker versus jared cannonier we also have alexander volkov versus walt harris uh islam Makachev versus 
Rafael Dos Anjos, Cynthia Cavello versus Lauren Murphy, and Megomet Ankale versus Ion Kudalaba. And like I say, and like I say, if you look at the look at that card, like say it, like say, I think casual fans will actually enjoy this card just as well. But like I said, we gotta look at the story of Gaethje versus Khabib because, in all honesty, like this should have been the this should have been like the Tony Ferguson Khabib fight that we were to promise like what four or five years ago, and just every time it comes close, it just keeps getting further and further away because of injuries. Because, like I say, the most recent pullout was because, because of the fact that Khabib could not make it. You know, like I say, he 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 couldn't make it into the country. He could not make it into the United States because of the fact that of the global pandemic that is currently going on. So we have to think of it in terms of, okay, well, are these guys ever going to fight? And if they do, like, what's it going to be like? Because with Gaethje knocking off Ferguson, that takes a little bit of the shine off of this fight. I could. I could actually think I would actually think that 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 like a Khabib versus Ferguson fight until Ferguson lost to Gaethje would have been a blockbuster for the UFC. You're talking, you know, like 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 because and and I and I say that in this way, uh, so that people understand. When I say it could have been a blockbuster, I mean day of the fight, right? Like two hours before the main card starts. That's when their pay-per-view eyes would have came in because of the fact that weigh-ins don't matter because we've seen seen Khabib make it to the weigh-in and have to fall out because because of the way that he did his weight cut he just wasn't able to fight he would he he would not have been a hundred percent to fight at that point in time you know now granted granted yes Dana White will have Mike Chandler on hand just in case something happens with either one of these fighters because we all know. That nothing's nothing's guaranteed in the world of mixed martial arts, but it's one of those things where Gaethje has some shine on him right now because of the fact he just beat Ferguson for the interim belt, and Khabib is, well, Khabib like that guy has been as dominant a champion in that lightweight class since we've seen since I'd say, hmm. I'd say about since like the days of like an in shape motivated BJ Penn, because there was like BJ Penn was disposing the guys left and right, and you know until he ran into that that guy the the question Frankie Edgar. Um, so I mean, like I say, what's your take on this uh, upcoming UFC fight? I mean, look, I'll be honest. I'm happy to see Khabib fight again. It does it really. Do it for me, the Gaethje, like Justin Gaethje. I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. You Gaethje? Know, you know Gaethje? Put, yeah, Gaethje. Okay, I can butcher names. You know this. <laughs> um, hey, they should just be lucky that I remember them, right? You know me well enough to know that. <laughs> but um, regardless, I, I mean, I'm just happy to see Khabib fight again because I am not one of these people that is of the belief that Khabib just lays on top of you like George St. Pierre. Like, Khabib tries to punch your head through the canvas. And I have a thorough appreciation for that. So, I mean, that that should be fun to see him. He will continue to dominate, though. Gaethje has really no chance here. Um, the thing that people always discount about Khabib, they always want to talk about he can't really fight on his hand, you know, on his feet. He's knocked out some guys on his feet. You might want to go back and watch his rewatch his UFC fights. 
because he's done it to multiple guys in the UFC. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I feel like this is just a continuation of his dominance. And until I can see someone in that division that is as dominant, I don't, I won't ever pick against Khabib. There's no one in that division that, 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 um, that makes you be like, yeah, I, sh- I should pick against Khabib for them. But on a, on a different note, I have a question for you, Terrell. Yes. So me and you have seen how the UFC, and particularly how Dana White has operated over the years, right? Yes. And how he has been quick to when a fighter says something that he doesn't like or does something that he doesn't like, he's very, very quick to punish them. Especially if it can be perceived as something that is um, like a negative message of some type, right? You know, we've seen that they've punished guys for this before, correct? Yes. So, isn't it quite hilarious how Kobe Covington can literally go on TV saying a bunch of racist BS and Dana White is now all of a sudden citing his freedom of speech? Isn't it funny how that works? It's it's interesting how that works, especially since you know we know Dana White's relationship at, with with Agent call, Orange. Call it what it is. Dana White was at the Republican convention. He calls himself a friend to Donald Trump. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, like I say, but we've known this for a while though. Like I say, say even going into the uh, into the event where uh, Covington was uh, fighting Usman, and I think. I think Agent Orange was in the, yep, was was in the crowd. We yep. all knew about, like, say, his relationship with with with, with Agent Orange. The problem, the, the and now, like, say, the issue is, okay, well, guess what? Now, if you're going to start, in, like, say, making these statements, that oh, well, then you can't punish any of your previous fighters because then that can be you can't punish any any fighters in the future. I mean. Because that would be considered favoritism, and that would also really look bad on you. When, like, I say, Covington has said far worse things than you know, like, I say, than like, uh, like a lot of those guys ever said. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas, you know, you know, like, I say, I, I'm trying to think. Like, I remember, like, I remember, like, I say, I know you probably remember that UFC 100 post fight press conference when when well post fight uh interview when Brock Lesnar was just like I'm gonna go drink a Coors Light because Bud Light don't pay me and and like Dana had to like rein him in on that one I'm just like that's not even nearly halfway as bad as what Covington has said that's not even halfway as bad as some of the stuff that like say that McGregor has said you know so here's the part that's amazing to me though because it is Dana White being what he has always been, consistently inconsistent, okay? Because when Kobe Covington and and um, Jorge Masvidal are out here now bootlicking for Trump, right? He has no issue with it. But when fighters spoke out against Trump beforehand, he kept saying, oh, we need to keep the politics out of our sport. That's not what we deal with here. That's not what we do. It's just amazing how quickly, how quickly his stance on it changes when now the things that are being said fall right in line with his sensibilities. 
So is it really about freedom of speech or is it about saying what they don't want you to say? I say, I say, it, it seems like it's a little bit more the latter. But like I said, and I, and I just want to say they're they're pretty scummy for it. I'm gonna call it what I what I see. Dana White's pretty scummy for the way that he acts. I mean, if you I, listen, I'm willing to call other people out on their. Sh- I'm gonna call him too. Dana White's a scumbag. He is. His belief his belief system. He's a scumbag. And I know if he ever hears this, we'll probably never, ever have access to a UFC event. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Because in the world we live in, especially currently, in the climate we live in currently, we no longer have the luxury of allowing people like that to exist. And there's another person that's a longtime name affiliated with the UFC that I will get to in Spanish and All right. Well, with that turned up, hey. Jerome, you know what's about to happen? Time for us to talk about your favorite thing in the world. Football! All right. Well, the new NFL season is among us. I was about to say MLB because I saw something in the background that said MLB. But the new NFL season is upon us. And Jerome, I have one question for you, my friend. How about them bears? Um, you mean the heart attack kids? <laughs> yes, I yes, mean, those guys. <laughs> have I look? I will say this: it feels great for the Bears to be three and zero. Like, let, let me let me start with the with, with the with the good stuff, right? Bears three and zero feels really good. Um, we've moved on from Trubisky now because you know the the coaches have even gotten to the point now where they're just like, all right, we know what this is, we have to move forward, right? So, positive. The defense has been, you know, good this year. We actually have the number one pass defense in the league. Um, rush defense hasn't been great, but um, got the number one pass defense in the league. So, it's been fun. What hasn't been fun, though, is, you know, having to see the what happens in all these games and watching them, you know, just not – dominate these bad teams that we have played in the way that we should. And that's the thing that gives me pause about all of this, right? It's just that the bears should have dominated Detroit, New York, and Atlanta, right? They should have dominated them if they're a good football team, but we struggle with them. And, and I, and I know I've said on many times the NFL and all these leagues, you know, you need some breaks, right? You need some things to kind of go your way over the course of a season for you to get to whatever level that you're trying to get to, whether it's championship level, you're trying to get to the playoffs, whatever it may be, okay, right? But I openly admit that. But, I mean, how long are you going to push your luck? And I think that's that's the bad. So it's just a question of how long the Bears are going to push their luck with that. they got to start playing better and being more consistent. But the good news is, is that it seems like they seem to understand that very same concept and – that seems to be why they made the move from Trubisky, who he had some moments in these first three games, right? He made some throws in these first three games that were absolute dimes, right? I'm talking where you're like, damn, Mitch, I didn't know you had that in. You know what I mean? But what he hasn't been is consistent. And the Bears need consistency in order for them to be good and can, in order for them to have success this year. They cannot, they couldn't sit there and 
have another year because realistically this year, the way that it's starting off, it's more like the first year under Nagy, right? To where, yeah, in that first year under Nagy, we may have lost that first game to Green Bay. But if you look at what happened afterwards, you know, the Bears got it going. They were hot for the, you know, for a good chunk of the uh, early part of the season. They were playing real good football. That's more so what the Bears are doing now. It's just that they realize now that they are not going to handicap this team anymore by having a not competent quarterback. Because I want to stress the word competence for a reason. And it is because while I believe now that the Bears are going to be a much better team with Nick Foles, don't take that as me saying that Nick Foles is so damn great. Okay? Because I know I'm keeping it consistent with you guys. I've said many times over the years, Nick Foles is not that great. He's not. He's, he's really, really good when everything is really great around him, right? But he's not the greatest quarterback ever. You know, what he is, though, which is why I stress this word, he is very competent. Nick Foles will make the right decision. He will throw it to the right area. The only, the only true thing that I have, issue that I have with Nick Foles, and why I won't give him more credit, is it's a combination of two things. Number one, he hasn't had the you know, consistent years of success for him is basically about one in every three years, right? He has a really good year. So that I'll knock him for that. But also he throws a lot of 50-50 balls. Now, mind you, when he throws these 50-50 balls, they are in the, the right position for his receiver to make the play. You know, like look, look at the, uh, the one that they overturned on Allen Robinson that they ended up calling into an interception. Bowles put that ball in the perfect position for him to catch it it's just you know it didn't it didn't go our way that is what nick Foles does he's always going to give his guys an opportunity to make the catch and that is one of the most important things and he can make all of the throws um i will move forward from nick Foles and uh, on this one note okay so one important thing about him being confident and that showed last week right away was the touchdown to anthony miller okay and why am i bringing this play up it's very, very simple. But after the game, Anthony Miller, he said, in the, in the huddle, Nick told me to just run to the L, okay? The L in the end zone for the Falcon. He said, run to the L, I'm going to throw it there. Now, if you watch the play, what ended up happening was Nick Foles had to buy a little bit of time, and he had to throw that ball up there before Anthony Miller was actually making his break to the L, right? But what he did was is that he threw it on time and where it's supposed to go for only his receiver to have a chance to catch it. So that's what I mean by this guy is competent. And if he can continue to be competent for the Bears, there truly is no limit to where this team can go this year because we still have a great defense, plain out and simple. Um, yeah, trust me. Like I say, I was – I say – during that Giants game, I was had quite a few heart attacks because I was watching it while at the gym on the elliptical. And and I kid you not, during that whole game, like say, say I, I, I say I caught like the last like like the last bit of the fourth quarter in that that game. But I'm just like and when when that Eddie Jackson pass interference call that should have been a I was I like I screamed out loud while I was in the gym to where everybody could hear me and and I'm like 
like, and then when they call it back, I'm like, like, son of a, and like, say, everybody can hear me then too. But it's one of those things where, yes, you're right. They are the heart attack kids. Like I say, mm-hmm. say, but like I say, hey, I'd rather, rather than be the heart attack kids than the heartbreak kids. That's for sure. Exactly. I listen. We could easily be in Atlanta situation. We're not. So I'm going to take my victories where I can get them. Um, don't, the other thing that's been very interesting to me on this NFL season um, is that if you didn't know that it was a changing of the guard last year at the quarterback position, you know now. And and why I say that is just simply one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, Terrell. Well, I say best quarterbacks in the league. Got to give it to Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. And I hate to say it, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron's balling out of control right now. He is. I can't even I can't even debate that. But who I would put ahead of Aaron Rodgers at this point is Lamar Jackson. Okay. And the reason why I'm saying it's a changing of the guard is because there was an article written by the Athletic last year, right? It was called The Year of the Black Quarterback. <laughs> All right. And basically what they discussed is, is you know, um, last year, going into last year, we were basically in a position where we were gonna have more top flight black quarterbacks than we've ever had in the history of the league. And not only were we going to have more top flight, these guys were now the best in the league. And the reason why I find this just so significant and so important is, listen, man, me and you grew up in a world where, and I know this is going to sound kind of weird to like younger people that listen to our podcast here, but we grew up in a world to where they said literally the black quarterback could not process enough information fast enough in order to be successful, right? Where they used to tell us, and I know you remember this, Terrell, they used to tell us that having athleticism at the quarterback position was a bad thing. Literally, the only sport in, 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 in the only position in any sport where they maintain that dynamic for why a long time, right? Where, oh, if you're more athletic, it's bad for you at that position, which never made any real sense, right? What it did was is that it showed you um, the lack of creativity that quite a few of these coaches actually have. Um, but the reason why I bring this up is because, hey, we're at a different point than we've ever been. And Monday's game was very, very significant because – we have now hit a point to where they can't deny you anything in the NFL anymore. They like we've succeeded at every position that you have given us and that you've allowed us to, you know, to actually have an opportunity at. Done it as GMs and presidents, done it as quarterbacks, coaches, whatever position you want to name on the field, we've done it at all of them and dominated. So it's a new day, and, it's a, and I'm glad to see that. Um, we have hit this point, but what I am interested to see, though, Terrell, is to see how quickly, well, how long it actually takes the NFL to change truly who they're marketing. Because I know in our minds, we feel like the NFL believes that Monday night football is the big game of the week, right? I, because that's like supposed to be the ender. And I know it's kind of programmed in people's minds for Monday night football to be such a big thing. But actually, 
the game of the week that the NFL usually is selling is Sunday night football. Okay. Because that's when they know they usually have got you in front of your TV from noon till 10 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Because it's football all day. Very true. Who did they, who did they put on Sunday night football this last week, bro? Do you remember? No, I don't. Packers and Saints. When you had Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes playing on Monday, though. So at some point, the NFL is going to have to reconcile with this. Because, listen, man, it's not that we're not going to have any white quarterbacks. That's not what I'm trying to say. All I'm saying is, is that the best quarterbacks in the league now are black guys historically the NFL has promoted the white guys at quarterback, and that's usually like a big part of their whole promotion thing. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward how the NFL used to go about this, because especially with a guy like Lamar Jackson, I don't know if you have ever seen Lamar get interviewed, T, but Lamar doesn't code switch at all. Like, not at all. Lamar talks like a, you know, we both got country cousins, right? Yep. He sounds like one of them. <laughs> and he never switches it up. Like, this is just who he is. So that's what I mean. It, it'll be interesting to see where this goes from here. Because, I mean, even for all the success Russell Wilson has had, right? Terrell, how many, how many national commercials do we see Russell Wilson in? I think I've seen him do one. And think about this, Terrell. Baker Mayfield hasn't even gotten to the damn playoffs yet, and this dude has already had at least five national commercials. Think about that. Very true. Like I say, I, I literally was just, uh, I was somewhere recently and I saw saw a commercial. I was at the gym recently and I saw uh, Baker Mayfield. It'll, like I say, that, that Hulu with live sports commercial. I'm like, this guy is in a market that isn't exactly one of the biggest ones. It's not even, I don't even think Cleveland's in the biggest market in his state. I think Cincinnati is. No, no. No, no, Cleveland is the biggest market in the state. Okay, so uh, yeah, eh, it, it doesn't matter to me. It's Ohio. But anyways, hey, and if we had any listeners in Ohio, <laughs> hey, fight me, okay? Fight me. But uh, <laughs> but he's, okay, so he's in the biggest market in the state, but not one of the biggest markets in the country. You know, but like I say, and the thing is, too, is like, I get why they want to promote a guy like him because he is brash and he's loud and everything. He's everything that like an advertiser would want because he is because he has that chip on the shoulder. But hey, guess what? How about you give let the guy get some wins first and then you give him the national commercials, you know? Let's say I'd much rather seen Russell Wilson in that spot. I'd much rather seen Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes in that spot. I don't want to see Baker Mayfield in a spot that could have went to a better quarterback whose teams actually oh, function and win under their leadership. And look, man, the big part about it is, like I said, this is the NFL. The NFL has to start realizing what they have and they have to accept it because, I mean, to be frank, I didn't think of this point. And it was actually, but it was an excellent point brought up by Bomani Jones, right? What he's pointed out is, name me a quarterback, a white quarterback since Stafford that's gotten drafted that's any damn good. I mean, I know some people are going to push back at me right now in this current season to tell me, oh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen looks highly talented. 
that's because you're not really watching Josh Allen with a <coughs> objective eye. You're not looking at him to say, is what he's doing, is what he's doing consistently good? Is it, is he throwing the ball in the spots that he needs to? Is he making the reads that he has to? Is, you're not judging him off that. You're strictly judging him off of touchdowns and interceptions and yards, completion percentage, and, uh, you know, what's your eyes say to you, basically? Like, you know, does he pass the eye test? Me, I'm looking at it in a sense of, hey, there are some things Josh Ed, with Josh Allen that we would not accept from anybody else. Uh, a perfect example of this, Terrell, is that already this season, Josh Allen has missed multiple guys in the end zone wide open. Okay? I'm talking about, were you like, what the hell? How did you miss that? But I'm not trying to knock him and say that he's not playing good because he is playing good. But there's going to be a limit on this. See, you remember when the Bears went to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, right? Unfortunately. And you remember how consistently NFL analysis would tell you over and over, Rex Grossman is a limited quarterback, right? Yep. You know, they... Josh Allen's a limited quarterback, and people don't want to accept that. And I know part of it is because in Buffalo, you know, they haven't had somebody that they consider a franchise quarterback. But here's the astounding part to me on the whole thing with Josh Allen and these Buffalo Bill fans, who, by the way, were coming at my neck on Sunday for trying to call out Josh Allen for not being consistently good. Um, They have to understand, they already had somebody that is exactly what Josh Allen is in Tyrod Taylor. But yet they didn't want to give Tyrod the credit. They were so quick to throw Tyrod under the bus and trade him away so they could start the damn Peter man. Well, like I say, that's that's just seems to be like say say people will defend defend and attack like when people don't agree with their opinions. I say and that's one of those things like hey guess what? If you're listening to our show, we have our own opinions. We have our own thoughts. We have our own things. If you don't, if you don't like them, I mean, that's up to you. But, but if you do, then guess what? Then this is the show for you. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Like I say, listen to these guys. I'm gonna say, say the truth. we don't, don't sugar. Like we opinion. don't. We don't sugarcoat that's anything. A you problem, not a me problem. Yeah. I'm going to call it what it is. That's a you problem more than a me problem. Because let me tell you, me, I'm here trying to entertain. (laughs) So if you don't like what I got to say, I mean, I'm a problem. I say, because my big thing is, I don't really, let me say, say, everybody has, has their own temperament for what they're going to express what they want to express what they're trying to express but we like i say we had to deal with the shackles of not being able to say things the way we wanted to say them how we said them guess what we're not we aren't dealing with those shackles anymore we are now we are now like i say in a format in which we can express things the way we want to where yeah, we don't um, have to offend I the sensibilities just... of certain people so so like you said it's a, oh looks like a you problem it definitely is a huge problem if you don't like our like Jerome's opinions. You don't like my opinions. I let's say we're doing this podcast because we are people that 
look at things and we have our own opinions. Let's say you can listen to the talking heads. You can, oh wait, I'm sorry. You can't listen to the talking heads about MMA because most of them don't talk about MMA. You can listen to another podcast, but all those guys are going to try and stay on the good side of the WWE, the UFC, and even AEW. You know, we don't do that. We will analyze what we see as a problem. We will tell you what fights should be good ones, but we will also tell you what's the drizzling shits as well. So therefore, we are inside the cage. This is Terrell Campbell. That's Jerome Spann. If you don't like what we have to say, then you know what? Do like Stone Cold did in 03, take your ball and go home. Oh, I love it. I don't know. I, like I said, my thing is I'm just trying to tell these Buffalo fan, Buffalo fans, Terrell, he's he's like Kirk Cousins in this sense, Terrell. And this is the thing that I think they were missing here is that he's going to have moments where you believe that he is much better than he actually is until you start analyzing what's really going on in the game. Because you know how Kirk Cousins got all his money, T? You want to know how? Please, like, beyond the Redskins being stupid and with how they managed the whole situation with him as franchise taking over and over. He put up garbage time numbers, bro. How did the Jaguars follow fall for Blake Bortles, right? He put up garbage time numbers. My point to these people is that you have to start looking at what a guy is consistently doing. And Josh Allen, he's... He's too roller coastery. He's too up and down, up and down. Because it's great. Look, look, as great as all these people want to talk about him, Terrell. Last year in a playoff game, you know what Josh Allen did? Josh Allen ran back like 30 yards and got sacked. And in that same game, Terrell threw a 50 50 ball in triple coverage to his fullback. If, if y'all don't get what. Why I don't trust this dude and why I don't think he's that great? That's on you. If you still don't get it, think about this. They were up 28-3. to 28-3 on Sunday. And if not for a horrible, horrible pass interference call, they lose that damn game. But people want to tell me Josh Allen's the man, though, right? They want to tell me how he's so good now. <laughs> okay. Just wait. Y'all can go ahead and get your hopes up. Sorry that my my standard for quarterback play is way freaking higher than yours. Like I said, you don't like what I'm saying? It's a you problem, not me. Because my standard for quarterback is I want you to be great. I am not accepting average bull crap. Sorry. Not happening. Well, let's say, I guess I say that sometimes people are just full of shenanigans. And speaking of shenanigans, Jerome... You and me both know it's time for Spans Shenanigans. And lay it on us, Jerome. Spans Shenanigans time. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the mind of a madman here. I know I'm a little bit crazy, but, you know, we're here to have some fun. You know, we got some real stories. We got some funny ones. We got some uh, some serious ones, you know. But basically, just trying to keep you informed on some things that you may not have seen 
over these past couple weeks. So we're going to start at the top here because I know I'm sure some of our, you know, some of our hardcore listeners are, uh, they're, they're waiting for me to do it. So I'll do it now. Let's get it out the damn way. I guess I saw some of the debates. Okay. A couple of things I just want to touch on because I don't want to get stuck in the mud talking about those debates because we could go on about some of the things that happened and was said and all this for forever and a day, right? We could probably do a whole another episode just about that fucking debate, right? Uh, but you'd be talking by yourself. I, want to do <laughs> I didn't want to watch. Let's say if I wanted to a watch a train wreck, I'd right? let's say if I wanted to watch a train wreck, no. like I say, but dude, no, like one. Uh oh, uh, uh, no. No, I'm not. I'm not doing the debates. I'm, I'm. I'm already done with this crap already. I already know who I'm voting for. I don't need to watch the damn debates. Jerome. Jerome. Yes. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, there we go. I don't know why it was it was lagging like a mug for a second there, and I'm mean, what the heck was going on? Um, but yeah, so those debates, it was a clown show, dude. You know what I mean? Like it was a hundred percent a clown show. But you know, a couple of the things that I walked away with: number one, Trump is clearly a white supremacist. When you can't when you can't even deny it, you're letting me know where you stand, right? And with white supremacy, it's one of those things that you either are for white supremacy or you're vehemently against it there is no middle ground <laughs> so that's pretty clear but the more important thing that i noticed was look people i know a lot of you guys don't sit here and watch historical documentaries like i do like i, I just love historical documentaries, especially a lot of stuff about world war ii right because world war ii is not so long ago that it can't teach you a lot about what's going on in the world today right you know a, a lot of situations that are happening now you can almost trace back to world war ii and the time like right after basically like the 10 15 years right after you know of the cold war where you can you know really trace a lot of those problems to there so the issue that i have though is that if you have ever watched historical documentaries about um hitler's rise to power right a lot of the things that Trump is is saying sound very similar to the exact things that Hitler was saying. And to give you a very specific example of this, okay, so before, for those that don't know, let, let me also just run this down real quick. For those that don't know, the Nazis didn't just all of a sudden take over the country. It wasn't like a, um, a military coup or anything like that. No, what happened was they were voted in, they got massive amounts of power. And once they got in with that massive amounts of power, they then got the, the basically who would be the president, right? To then sign over more power to the Nazi party. Okay. So this was all people went along with this. German people went along with this. It wasn't because not, not all of what the Nazis rose about was about, the Jews. It wasn't, it didn't all start off that way. There was always a level of anti-Semitism in it, but it wasn't always that. Okay. So what Hitler did during those elections though, right before him, what did he do? He told his brown shirts, his brown shirts, for those that don't know, they're the agitators. They're the guys that went around and busted people's heads open, went around just messing people up, doing whatever they want. They were essentially the gang, the gang force for the Nazis, right? 
They were um, the, the, the precursor to the Gestapo, essentially. All right. You know what Hitler told them? He told them to go watch the polls for fraud, too. And you know what they did, Terrell? They beat the hell out of people who were going to vote in opposition to the Nazi party. What did Trump just do? He just told people to watch the poll. See, a lot of people were getting real alarmed with his old telling the Proud Boys to, you know, stand by, you know, statement, you know, stand back and stand by. What was more alarming to me was the fact of the matter that he told those same people that they need to be out watching the polls and making sure that there's no fraud being committed. That is one of the first steps towards becoming an authoritarian country and becoming a fascist dictatorship. Okay, so I just I'm not trying to be an alarmist, you know, that's not how I get down. But this shit is for real. He wants to be a dictator. He's using the same playbook that Vladimir Putin used to now get in the position that he is. It's very similar. So you got examples for it all you want. Um, kind of related to everything, you know, some of the things that we have uh, discussed here moving forward. And then with our next story here. ESPN, in my personal opinion, after everything that has happened and how they tried to demonize uh, her and Michael Smith for, for quote unquote, being too political with their shows and all this shit, right? They owe them both a big ass apology. Because guess what? Sports and politics are intersecting every damn day now. Every day. I mean, think about it. You had the, you had Agent Orange legitimately standing up there in the debates talking about he saved Big Ten football. No, he didn't. He didn't have nothing to do with that. He just got on a phone call with him. I mean, you're talking about a man who generally likes to take credit for a lot of things that he shouldn't be taking credit for. So I'm not very much surprised. And then I say anything that's to be a blame to him, he doesn't like to take blame for any of that stuff. So I, I, I say I'm not say it's it's not surprising to me that he was to take credit for something, but same time, at least take credit for stuff you've done. Oh wait, nothing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So well, yeah, wait, so wait. Let me, let me, let me, let me correct that for anybody that might be a little right wing. He did, he did, uh, he did sign the economic stimulus bill back in oh, what was that? Like March. So, good job. You did one thing, and it's towards the end of your term. Great. Yeah, he did that one thing because uh, we wouldn't have needed that if he would have handled the pandemic correctly, but. Regardless, we're going to move forward here. Um, on somewhat of a happy and fun note here, uh, Terrell, do you know who Stan Van Gundy is? Yes, I do. Okay, so Stan Van Gundy, for those that don't know, he is a former head coach. He he was a coach of the Miami Heat and then the Orlando Magic. He was the coach of the Orlando Magic when they got to the finals with Dwight Howard. Um, well, Stan Van Gundy this year, and I believe since the pandemic has joined Twitter. Why am I bringing this up? Because damn, is he a fun follow. He gives people the business and it's hard to dispute the points that he consistently brings up. So if you want a great follow, um, 
I would say follow my man Stan on uh, on Twitter. He is absolutely hilarious. Moving forward, though, we've got um, the NHL finished their bubble situation for the Stan in the Cup playoffs with zero positive tests. And I just got to commend the NHL for being able to do this, especially considering in this country they're really like the number four sport. And they, which means they don't have as many resources, and they were still able to get this done. And I have to commend the NHL and their players for taking this serious and making sure that they could get this done. You know, I got to commend them for it. It is, um, it is amazing that they were able to do it, and I got to give them credit for it. You know, because football's already had positive tests. Um, the NBA, I think the NBA hasn't had any since they've been in the bubble but i do know that there was at least one guy that's still playing now and that he kendrick nunn that had it before they were in the bubble um so i just got to give him credit there good job i wish more of our country would act responsibly like you guys did that's basically my point in bringing that up (laughs) um a judge okay so essentially this judge he he commissioned a panel that was basically trying to just, you know, figure out why was there so many black people in prison and in jail, right? And he had he had a whole team of researchers and everything, people, you know, from academia that were in, you know, law, all different areas. They kind of compiled together their information, and the one thing that they came to find out is that our laws are systematically racist. And that was literally the only conclusion that they could come to because what they noticed over and over was that consistently laws changed to the detriment of black and brown people in this country. So basically, if you're not white, the laws are consistently changing to your detriment. And what they concluded was that it is literally the lawmakers and the laws that they were putting out there that are causing this system to be so messed up me i'm a person who will tell them though the system is actually working exactly as it's designed which is why i've always said that we need a major course correction for those that don't know that's a nautical term when you're talking or or, you know for the most part it's a nautical term but course correction when you're going way off course and you're about to veer into something and crash you need to correct the course well guess what we've been going through our crash for quite a while and it's been really freaking painful to watch and it's caused a lot of pain and hardship in people's lives so we should maybe just maybe correct what we're doing here how do you fix all of this that's a whole different complicated discussion but essentially a big first step in the process is doing an honest analysis like this team did and getting people to realize that these laws are race racially biased and that they are need to be changed plain out and simple. So I commend that judge and his team for, you know, what they found. And I hope that this can be part of information that people need to move forward and try and make things better. Now, moving forward to, uh, somebody that I need to address here, Terrell, but Terrell, you know who Tory Lanez is? Porn star? No. No, the rapper Tory Lanez. Well, rapper R&B. Oh, hell no. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so to kind of keep you everybody up to speed, so Tory Lanez is the guy that got into the shooting incident with Megan Thee Stallion where he shot her. 
the foot. Oh, that motherfucker. Right. He's <laughs> yes. So, Tory Lanez, over the, over the past, like, week, he released a song basically throwing shade at Megan Thee Stallion for what was going on there and what happened that night. And I just want to say, black men, all my rap fans, we got to get this motherfucker up out the paint. Plain out and simple. Fuck Tory Lanez, okay? You can, you're not going to be out here perpetuating domestic violence and then think that it's all good for you to go make a song. Tory Lanez, you ain't nothing but a scumbag. Nothing but a scumbag. So, I hope all my fellow rap fans and all these rappers out here will stand up and tell him to go suck a dick if he wants anything from them moving forward. And I've already seen that there's already been quite a few rappers that are doing this, most notably um, that I've seen that's been very active about this, Rick Ross. Also, J.R. Smith, the basketball player that's on the Lakers, he has also made it known that, um, in his words, that... Um, but yeah, he's a clown. Sorry, Jerome, you cut, so, out, you cut out for a second. Let's say, what did J.R. Smith say? Oh, J.R. Smith called him. He said, this spicy midget's going to get cooked. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we know what it is. He's going to get dealt with. All I want to say is, though, fuck Tory Lanez. And, and listen, if you a black man, you can't support this dude at this point, bro. He out here, he is out here being real reckless, and that's not cool, bro. It's not cool at all. You don't get to, you know, commit a serious act of domestic violence and then get to joke about it. Not how we get down. We got to be better than that. Plain out and simple. Um, Moving forward, though, we've got a Texas teacher was fired from her job. Forget this, Terrell. She, it wasn't because she wasn't wearing her mask. It's because her mask was a Black Lives Matter mask. Because right across the front, it says Black Lives Matter. And she refused to change it. Because it was Sorry, Jerome, we're having some some issues with your connection. So they fired her, Terrell. So she wouldn't change fired she wouldn't change her mask and no. they fired her because she had a mask that said Black Lives Matter. Yes, because her her counter part of her counter to them was that they were okay with people wearing Trump twenty twenty masks, so why she could why she couldn't wear hers. Because they tried to say that it was like, you know, a political thing and everything, but she brought up that point, and basically they were like, eh, you know, we're Texas, we can do what we want. <laughs> so, I just want to commend this lady. I hope she finds a new job that pays her even more money, and uh, I hope she continues the good fight. Because one thing for all of this stuff to get fixed in this country is that we need our white allies to stand up to each other. Well, not to each other, to stand up to other white people and to try and get them in the right mental spot because as much as people want to say race doesn't play in anything, it is statistically proven you are more likely to receive a message positively if it is delivered by someone of your own race. And that's fucked up, no doubt, but it's facts. Okay. So, I hope that, you know, she has great success moving forward here for being willing to stand up for what she believes is right. Uh, now, this next one here is a little bit sticky, so I'm going to try and 
do my best here. So on the this whole Brianna Taylor situation, okay. Spoken my piece about it plenty before. I think anybody listening to this show knows where I stand. What I want to bring up though is a couple of factors here. Number one, there's a lot of misinformation put out about it. Okay, a lot. There's plenty of good reporting that is done about this case. You should probably read it. I've shared several articles on my social media about this stuff. It's there for you, okay? Don't let yourself be fooled by the bullshit. Most importantly, though, is that we have to get to a point to where we are holding police accountable for their bad behavior. Because if any one of us did that same thing, we would be in prison. So we have to hold police. Let's say I told. I, 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 let's say I definitely agree with you. Like I say, need need to hold, hold uh, say the police accountable for their actions. You know, I mean, like I say, that's just one of those things where, like I say, our society works better if there's held accountability on all parts. Jerome? Jerome? Oh. It's lagging a little. It's lagging. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it started. I totally started breaking up on me a little bit. I know it's on my end here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all, it's all bad, man. Um, you know, they only charged one person for it and it was despicable that, that this person was only charged with, you know, endangering the white people's lives and not even the black people's lives that he endangered there, nor the black people's life, the black person's life who he took. So it's finding quite discussion, disgusting. And I also it shows parallels in our system that it was done on the same exact day in history as the day that Emma Tell's murderers got off. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't want to dive too much into it. Yeah, because I, I, I've already done that before. Y'all already know how I feel on this. You already know. So, yeah, pretty disgusted. I hope her family can find some solace in the $12 million or whatever that they're going to have to pay them. I hope. Because no matter how much money it is, that doesn't replace her life. Plain out and simple. Um, moving forward here, though. Um, Monday night football and the NFL playoff and the NBA playoffs have both gotten um, pretty damn good ratings since uh, came back. And you have to keep ratings in perspective here, people, and understand that ratings for everything are actually going down. Um, and that is happening because more and more people are disconnecting and they're doing more streaming. And you also have to understand that Nielsen finally this year has a system that they feel comfortable with. They can determine streaming ratings and include um, the streams into your rating system. So the numbers we've been getting for the past few years by everybody going down has also been kind of skewed. But just for example here, the week two game of Monday Night Football was up 26% from uh, last year. 
So for all these people trying to talk about how, oh, we can't deal with this social messaging and all this other shit, it's all bullshit because actually these leagues' ratings are actually doing better than they were before. So, and also with the NBA, the NBA has been hitting some very big numbers for their games. So, yeah. All that talk that you hear from uh, those, as Terrell so aptly put it, those talking heads like tra- like uh, Clay Travis and Jason Whitlocks, you know, like when, when you hear this shit from their mouth, just know that what they're saying is all bullshit. <clears throat> it's all 100% bullshit. And there's literally factual numbers that can easily dispute what they're saying um but yeah you know but those are clowns so am i really expect am i really surprised that a clown does anything but act like a clown no um moving forward here though the pentagon has um misused a hundred billion dollars that were meant for um covid relief right i don't know if you saw the story for but essentially Instead of doing the things that they were supposed to do, which is like, you know, kind of buy more supplies and make sure everything was ready for the military and and some of these civilian places, the Pentagon took that money and spent it on more bullshit that we don't need. So, so $1 billion down the drain. And there's like no recourse. (laughs) Because for those that don't know, there's a serious problem for accounting at the Pentagon. Because there has been basically 10 years or so running where they just have massive amounts of money that goes missing. Like massive. It, look, if you look it up, I don't want to like talk too much into the details because I haven't read about it in a while. But essentially just like billions and billions and billions of dollars go missing every year from the Pentagon. Every year. And they have like counting to where it went to. So we need to uh, have some more levels of accountability there in the Pentagon because that shit's out of control. Because we're always screaming about how we don't have money for all these social programs, but yet we got billions of dollars that we can piss away at the Pentagon every year, right? That's crazy. Uh, Moving forward, though, let's talk about my man Joe Rogan here. So I've been hearing a lot of talk about, you know, a lot of people got on this hype train of, you know, Joe Rogan to moderate one of the debates. I'm just going to touch this quickly because I know I'm running a little low on time, but I also don't want to spend too much time talking about this asshole. Um, Joe Rogan is not a good moderator, and he would never be a good moderator because even on his own show, when he has right-wing crazies on, and and white supremacists on like Richard Spencer or like uh, uh, Ben Shapiro or this dude that's the leader of the Proud Boys. He does not give them pushback. He does not even fact check what they are saying. He allows them to disseminate their message using his platform. And at this point, knowing the fact that he can ask intelligent follow up questions to the scientists and academics that he has on his show, I can only assume one thing about Joe Rogan and that. He's okay with how they think, because when you say things about, like, the Proud Boys leader, they're like, hey, I know this guy. He's mostly fun. When you say that, you're pretty much going to expose yourself to me, Joe Rogan. I'm done giving people any benefit. I'm done giving them the benefit of the doubt. If you are operating in bad faith, you will be treated so accordingly. Joe Rogan is operating in bad faith, so fuck him. Tell me how you really feel. Plain and simple. He's not a good moderator. 
tell him, hey, people want him to moderate a debate between president, between presidential candidates. Tell that motherfucker maybe he should moderate his own show first and maybe ask some follow-up questions to the damn white supremacists that he has on his show. Maybe he should do that first. Let's fact check those guys. So we're going to uh, end on two positive stories here, though. Number one, you've got Miss Naomi Osaka, who, if you don't know, she had won the U.S. Open. And why am I bringing up Miss Osaka? Not only is it great to see that, you know, she is coming up and she is coming into her own as a tennis player, um, but every time that she was up there um, for her interviews for Victory, she had on a mask with a different name of a victim of police brutality. And she also had on a mask to say Black Lives Matter. And she consistently made the point. If this makes a makes you uncomfortable, you should maybe think about why it's making you uncomfortable. Because the matter And that's a damn good thing. So I appreciate you, Miss Osaka. And we will end this on a very positive note. So I don't know if you saw this one throw, but Mr. Peyton Manning has decided he is going to be covering some serious amounts of scholarships and doing some re uh, some upgrading at about six different HBCUs. Why do I find this awesome? First off, Peyton Manning went to University of Tennessee. Second off, he's a white guy, okay? But he's a white dude that has realized that, wait a minute, these institutions are being underfunded purposely. So me, as the white guy, I'm going to use my power and my money to help fix the problem. Peyton Manning, you have my utmost respect. There's still some sketchy-ass shit you did when you was in college. I ain't forget about that. But I have to give you credit where credit is due. This is a very good thing, and I commend you, Mr. Peyton Manning. And that's all I've got for you this week, people. As I tell you each and every time, please stop paying attention to the Kardashians. Woo! By the way, Tara, did you see they're finally going off the fucking air? Yep. We won! <laughs> um, but please... Not paying attention to the Kardashians. Pay attention to science. Pay attention to the news. Pay attention to politics. Pay attention to some shit that is going to help make your life better. Because I can promise you one thing, people. The Kardashians don't give a damn about you. They ain't trying to make your, help make your life better. But you know what will? Stuff like science. All right. And thank you, Jerome, for yet another informative, but yet enlightening span shenanigans. All right, so now that shenanigans are over, time for us to get to, you know, let's say the original basis of the show as it was created. Time to talk about wrestling. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to put a disclaimer before we start into this. This whole next thing is about both All Elite Wrestling and WWE, and we'll be discussing the problems that both are having. Now, granted, this will not be a chance. Now, granted, this may not be an entire shit talking you know thing for us to do but we will go ahead and i say we'll give positives and and negatives for the products that we are seeing on television so with that being said let's go ahead and dive into all elite wrestling's problems as far as promotion goes i have a couple jerome do you have any i listen the only thing that my biggest thing right now, as far as positive, if you want to talk positive first, Roman Reigns. <laughs> I mean, it's literally what we asked for for years. 
Well, I said a- Drew. I said AEW first. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, AEW that they were still on the air and that they're continuing to like try and bring in new wrestlers. <laughs> like, I, for me, it's hard to talk too negative about them because they're such a new company. They haven't even been on TV for a year. You know, I judge what they're doing too harshly because they're trying to find their 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 own feet. But I do appreciate the fact that they are. They seem to be trying to let their. Yep, I guess let's say drums having some more issues. WWE has, which actually caused a lot of issues. Well, like I say, I'll go ahead and. I'll, I'll I'll make my, my my points about AEW that I've noticed because like I say I consume a lot of their product. Um, now granted, granted, yes, yes, they have done a great job with long term storytelling, uh, especially in the case of Hangman Page and Kenny Omega and the Elite and the Young Bucks. Um, so I'm interested to see how this whole thing fully plays off. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, um. I do have some problems with AEW. Uh, one of the problems I saw most recently is the fact that they have a female wrestler, a uh, part of their their uh, massive group called the Dark Order, named Anna J. And Anna J has been engulfed in a feud with Brandy Rhodes, the wife of uh, Cody Rhodes. Well, the American Nightmare Cody. Well, we can say Cody Rhodes because hey, hey, they can't sue us for it because guess what? They can't. Anyways. We have to realize that when it comes to, like, say, that scenario, I have an issue, not because of the women involved in the feud, but because you start something on Dynamite and you progress it on your YouTube show, AEW Dark, which, by the way, I know a lot of AEW fans don't watch Dark. I'm I'm fully aware of this because of the fact that for a while I wasn't even watching Dark. I didn't start watching Dark until like probably about a month ago. And then I I started seeing certain things that I enjoyed, but I'm sorry, if you're going to have a storyline develop on your main show, that storyline has to continue to develop on your main show. Because if you don't do it that way, then people are going to get lost get lose track of it because guess what we are living in a world of people whose attentions are shorter than goldfish if you want if you want people to remember and pay attention then you need to set it up so that they can follow it on a week to be week basis otherwise you're going to have a massive problem when it comes down to you know continuity because we all know wrestling fans they love their continuity and like if it takes two and if it takes a long time to get to something they complain if it takes too short a time to get something they complain if they don't know how you got from point a to point b they complain so please if you're going to give us a story give it to us on the central show we saw the we saw the whole hangman page story play out on dynamite week to week to week month to month to month why can't we do it for some of these other other talents that you're trying to get over to a more mainstream audience? Now, Jerome, you have anything to say to that? Well, to, to, 
Yeah, I just want to say one thing though is that, that I get why they're doing some of the content on dark because that's their new way to get it. You know what I mean? I agree with what you're saying. They should play more of these storylines out on the main show, but they're doing it because they're trying to make sure that they keep their already established revenue stream as one. You know, so I can't knock them too much on that. Well, the reason I I knocked them is they decided that they wanted to progress the Brandy Rhodes and a J story without even advertising Brandy Rhodes was going to be on AEW Dark. That's where my problem is. Um, but. Well, I mean, I get it. I, I get what you're saying. That's why I said I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just, I also understand their business of it because it's just like they got to keep that revenue stream going. They need that because they don't have. Well, their owner technically does have that money, but they're trying to make this a money-making business, you know what I'm saying? Not one that he has to continually invest more and more money into. Right. And then, and then, like I say, and then outside of that, um, I'll go into my, my, my number two, although I would have been made number one, my number two issue that AEW has, and that is their women's division. And that god-awful like just disgusting title that they call the AEW Women's Championship. It's, but the problem I'm having with their women's division is there's no one in the division really that that's been that's able to hold it up aside from current champion Hikaru Shida and Doctor Britt Baker DMD. Like their women's division has one star like they they have one legit star in that of Britt Baker but Hikaru Shida is not going to become a huge star because uh, let's just face it she works for an American promotion her English although she has improved it it's still not to the level it needs to be at so it's going to dilute her in an American market uh, let's say there's always controversy sur- sur- surrounding Nyla Rose um, and we know what that controversy is. Uh, Penelope Ford is talented, but she, but like I say, they they like to relegate her to just being Kip Sabian's girlfriend and distraction. Although she does wrestle from time to time and has challenged for the AEW Women's Championship, and she still has a lot of growth to do. Chris Statlander is currently out of action because of injury. Um, you look at now, granted, they they did get a slightly new. Uh, let's say addition in Thunder Rosa, the NWA Women's World Champion, and that's a great thing for them because, like I say, Thunder Rosa has like star written all over her. Um, but you also have to look at you know Big Swole. Big Swole is has a good big personality and it's just an incredible personality, but she's still a little green around the gills. So it's one of those things where what happens with her and about three to four months when the bloom is off the rose. Um, we have to look at, I'm trying to, I'm picturing her right now. Uh, the name will come come to me. Oh, uh, what about the pairing of Ivelisse and Diamante? They are a good tag team. And Ivelisse is a very formidable uh, woman in her own right because she was in Lucha Underground and we know what she can do. 
Like I say, that's someone they can push to the moon. You know, like like that's those are those are talents you have that you can use very well and make them in the stars. But the problem is, is that the they do it so it's so stop and go. Like there are times when you won't see Hikaru Shida wrestle for two to three weeks, but yet you may see a I say you may see like a Dr. Britt Baker match, you know, every week. That's because they know she's a star. You know, they they and they ruin their chance to make her the biggest baby face in that division by, you know, not letting her win the title to start off and put it on Riho, uh, or or even still or 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 not have her be the one to knock off Nyla Rose, you know, although her heel turn was already in progress at that point. But they 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 missed the boat on that. Now she's the best heel that they have in the women's division. I'm a bar none. Um but like I say, their women's division is a little suspect to me. I don't know about you, Gerard. I mean, I can't really dispute anything you just said. <laughs> like, everything you just said is right on point. Um, they do need to do a better job of utilizing their talent just because they need to... Oh, Jesus, fucking... Well, like I say, Wild Ramones... Um, but- Go ahead. Let me meet this for a second. <laughs> well, while Jerome's taking care of the business with uh, okay. Animal. All right, he's back. So let's go ahead. Okay. So no, essentially, I, I don't disagree with you. They need to, because this is one of the issues that we had with WWE for a long time, is that they weren't utilized utilizing their talent properly right you know you could see to where certain people are built for a role right and then they would just take forever to get into that role i mean to be frank it's like looking at um i know it's wwe but it's like looking at the whole thing with roman reigns right fans wanted him to turn heel for years right and it took him until this year to finally let him do it you know it's like that don't don't AEW has to be careful that they don't get caught doing that same thing because it's a very easy trap to fall into. You know, it's very easy to fall into. Oh well, you know this guy's already established name. We need to sell this because you can keep telling yourself that over and over and these new people a chance to shine in a role that they would shine in. Then you're doing not only the wrestler a disservice, but you're doing the company a disservice. Because like you said, wrestling fans are smart. You know, like most people that consume wrestling nowadays, everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows it's a TV show and all this. So there are expectations that we expect you to meet. Because guess what? You're a TV program just like every other every other thing that we watch. We expect it to be. Being, you know, at the end of the day. And if if you wait too long on that, then it never ends up blowing up in your face. Um, you know, think, an example I can use too from WWE. They, they would have been able to have more end of his run there, right? If they would have allowed him to go heal, but they didn't want to do it. You know, they just want to keep him as Captain America. And I get it, but 
you gotta you gotta do new stuff. You you have to do some things that are innovating. Otherwise, people are just gonna get bored with your product, and especially with wrestling, dude. If you don't tell the story right, you don't you don't give people their shine right. They'll turn your product off really really quick. Mm, very true. Now let's say to to get to my last issue that I have with AEW, and it's painful for me to say this. I say, but they've got to think about getting Jim Ross off of that commentator's tape. I don't have a personal issue against Jim Ross. I think he's, I say he's the voice of my childhood. Like I say, I was excited when he came to All Elite Wrestling, but Jim Ross is lost lost over there. Like, like he is having a hard time with remembering names, remembering moves. I mean, for goodness sakes, Sonny Kiss is a man. And he constantly refers to Sonny, Sonny Kiss as she. Even after Excalibur says he. Even after Shivani says he. Even when Taz says he, Jim Ross still has that same issue. Because, they like say, and I just think J.R., as great as he is and will always be as a commentator, and I will always look at him as a great, one of the greatest commentators of all time, if not the greatest of all time, I think it's about time that that cowboy uh, goes ahead and hangs up his hat because he's not able to keep up with today's product, with, with the product like he used to. Um, I, I can't say I, I disagree with you there because, you know, I love Jim. Me and you both have an affinity for Jim Ross for sure. He's 68 years old now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's 68. He's not young anymore. You know, like, so, anyway, he's 68 now. So that means during when we were growing up, he was already in his 40s. Jim Ross has had, what, is it one stroke or two that he's had? He's two, He's had uh, two bouts of uh, cerebral of Bell's palsy. There, uh, cerebral palsy. That's what it is. No, Bell's palsy. Now Bell's palsy. Thinking stroke. But yeah, he um, he, you know, he's older now, and so yeah, absolutely, what you're saying is true. I mean, there are some most definitely cringeworthy moments when when he says some things, and it's not like they're cringeworthy because they're like offensive or anything like that. Except for, just, I don't know the 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 Anna J wardrobe malfunction thing was borderline for me. I say, say what. The Anna J uh, wardrobe malfunction thing was borderline for me. Because cause he said on commentary or during one of their pay-per-views, uh, when Anna J was getting carried off by Dark Order member Stu Grayson, he said, did Anna J just have a wardrobe malfunction or was that wishful thinking on my part? And that's what I'm saying. Like, he's got to be careful... We're not in the same climate we were in the Attitude Era, where he, where if he would have said that, it would be like, oh, you know, that's oh, that's funny, you know. But then, then again, Jim Ross wouldn't have said that. That would have probably been King at the time. But it's like he, they say they just need to get him off the commentary table. Let him be like, and let let him have a, have an office job, not do commentary, because the man just 
it's 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 like you can tell sometimes he's enjoying himself and then sometimes you can tell that he's just kind of like trying to keep up but he's just having a hard time doing that like i said man he's 68 it's not surprising all right well let's see we're getting ready to close up the show here but let's go ahead let's talk some of the wwe problems First and foremost, why the fuck did Vince McMahon feel the need to cover Keith Lee's body? And why can't they buy back the man's music from CFO? Because, God, his new entrance music sucks. And, man, you know what the beauty of Keith Lee was? He was a big guy that could do things big guys shouldn't do. So what the hell is wrong with Vince McMahon? And try, and every time he gets an NXT guy that is ready, that is prime, he says, we got to do something. It's like the old story where Jim Ross told him, I got Mick Foley. Okay, we'll bring him in, but we're going to put a mask on him. Like, what is going on there? Uh, I think it's very simple. It's the problem WWE has had forever, which is Vince wants to have a say-so in your character so he has control. It's all very simple to me. But it's stupid to take somebody who the fans are excited to see at that level and change them. I mean, here's here's another problem that they had, aside from Keith Lee, retribution. Okay, number one, we know that T-Bar is Dominic Dijakovic. We know that Mace is Dio Madden. We know that Slapjack is Shane Thorne. We know that the two female members are Mercedes Martinez and Mia Yim. Why can't they be those people on the main roster? Why do you got to give them stupid generic names that no one cares about? <clears throat> there, there's no reason. There's no reason to change. Here's the thing. I can understand if they wanted to change the name, if they were guys they plucked off the indie scene and brought them in as members of Retribution. But you had Mia Yim on NXT for two years. You had Mercedes Martinez on NXT prominent, prominently over the last, like, three months. Dio Madden's been off TV since Brock Lesnar took him out, and Shane Thorne was a part of a tag team that got disseminated, that got separated because his partner got fired and sent back to Australia. So why do you have to ruin these guys? And Dijakovic could have been a star on Monday nights without this damn T-bar gimmick. <clears throat> okay, but I, my only pushback to you, T, is it's Vince McMahon, bro. Like, why are you surprised by any of this? Why? You want to know why? Because it doesn't fit the goddamn story. The story bro, of retribution. These are the same. Well, the story bro, of retribution. The same people who had one of the most talented wrestlers of all time in Owen heart and put him in a mask and made him become the fucking blue blazer again. Touche. Think about that. <laughs> All I know is that Vince McMahon's lost his damn mind. The whole third party app thing just kind of, you know, like boiled me a little bit. I'm like, you know what? Half these people are going to find a way around it. 
So I'm not too worried. The other like pretty much, I think the person who said it best is somebody who you who's who you've been blocked from is CM Punk. And that is what are they gonna do? Fire everybody? I mean, are you gonna sue every person in your company? Because guess what? You're in a you're in a fight to retain talent. And if the if those talents can go to all elite wrestling and be able to use those same third party apps, then well, why would they want to sign a contract with you? You know, they're not in breach of contract. They really aren't. You know, and plus, if you're going to make an implementation like that, you have to have them as employees. They're they are independent contractors, and they're considered independent contractors because you won't fucking pay them, pay for health insurance. So guess what? It all boils down to you need to think about what your what message you're sending out because the second you try and enforce that, then those those parties have right to take legal action against you because although they because since they are not employees and are independent contractors, then doesn't that mean you should take care of them, like take care of their, you know, like medical bills? Because last I checked, WWE doesn't pay for the medical bills even if guys get injured, injured in their ring. Uh, let's say, say they take care of guys if they got to go to rehab, but they don't take care of people that are actively in the ring and get hurt. That comes out of the wrestler's pockets. Mm-hmm. And depending on who the wrestler is, it may come out of the company's pockets, but it should be a, it should be oh it should be like widespread throughout the entire company. That's who what it should be. But I I mean that's just that's my per- perspective on everything because of the fact that like I say I have been a wrestling fan for thirty years, and knowing the, knowing a little bit about the ins and outs, I can't say I know everything, but knowing a little bit about everything. I just want everybody to be able to enjoy what they're watching so that that way and, and, and enjoy being living their lives. Like WWE has a lot of problems. The thing is NXT and NXT UK don't have those same problems. So there's a major factor that's in play there. And that is Vince McMahon because a team like fun, like Breezango on the main roster was one of the most entertaining things ever. And they didn't know what to, and Vince didn't know what to do with them. They go down to NXT, they get a breath of fresh air. They're the NXT tag team champions. As of this show, a guy like Finn Balor came up to the main roster, universal champion, got hurt in that match, finished the match, came back. You think he's going to go straight to the moon? He doesn't. He gets sent back down to NXT. Within a month of him being there, he's the most talked about superstar down there behind the Undisputed Era. What We know what the problem is. Why do not... And the thing is, that problem's... There's only one way that problem's going away. And that is either... Well, there's two ways it's going away. Either the board 
forces Vince to resign or Vince dies. Either way, that's the only way that we'll get the kind of things we want out of WWE, correct? Because although he has had bad flack in the past, Triple H knows how to put on a show that people want to watch and people will talk about. With talent, he knows what to do with. And that's all I got to say for my soapbox. Yeah, I don't disagree with too much of uh, what you said there. My only thing is, is I, I got to give you some pushback there on Triple H because Triple H is a freaking egomaniac too. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy who's still putting himself, you know, in big pay-per-view spots. You know what I mean? So he's got some of that Vince McMahon in him too. He's just more, he's more willing to let characters as be coming from this point of being a wrestler, right? But, I mean, my biggest issue with WWE, and I was going to talk about it in shenanigans and you touched on it here, but I figured we'd wait till here. How do you, how dare you try and tell your, your people who are literally carrying your business that they can't make money outside of it? Excuse me? You won't pay for their health care, but you have the gall to be like, now nah, you can't be making money elsewhere. That's a terrible decision, especially like you said, with AEW sitting right out there. It's a horrible, horrible decision. I'm curious to see what the long-term ramifications of that is going to be. Because at some point, he's going to challenge somebody and they're going to say, we'll take this to court. And that's when things are going to get ugly for him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Uh, I, like I said, I don't really disagree with anything that you said beyond you know that stuff with Triple H. I, other than that, <laughs> you're right on the money, man. Yeah. Like they are, they're cutting off their nose. Yep, they are cutting off their nose in spite of their face. I, I definitely agree with you on that. But let's see. To end the day, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, who has been listening to Inside the Cage. We wish we got, got you some episodes a little bit earlier, but, you know, time happens, life happens. We don't get paid for this show. We do it out of fun. Hey, if you like us, please make sure that you listen on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Help us drive up our listenership so that, that maybe one day we can get paid to do this. That maybe one day we can actually create our Inside the Cage t-shirts and you can be one of the first people to get one. But until that day comes, I am Terrell Campbell. You can find me at tcampbell underscore ITC on Instagram, at the Real Trey Camp on Twitter. And, oh, that's about it. And then you got my co-host, my main man. Thrones fan, baby. And, you know, it's Jay Span the Man everywhere, baby. Everywhere. Just look me up that way. It's easy. All right. Thank it's easy for all the listeners. All right. Thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. And make sure that you remind yourself, anybody who might like it, to stay locked inside the cage. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.